You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is a, a special episode of Emeritus Rex. Usually, of course, I give a whole intro about 40 years ago for Rabbi Pupko, but I actually asked Rabbi Jonathan Rosenblatt uh, to speak with me today because of uh, something that he is very, very familiar with as a rabbi for of many, many years. As we approach Rosh Chodesh Adar, of course, uh, this coming week, and people, I think, are getting into the tzedakah mode that's necessary, not only for Matanus Levionim, but also, in general, the recognition of during Purim, uh, and as it builds during Pesach and Moschitim. So the idea of Jewish philanthropy, but really more in the practical way, not like the big checks to, to, to big institutions, but actually what occurs, Rabbi, of so many people coming to our doors, I think, I, I'm not going to predict, but I believe with COVID uh, lessening, with I think there's going to be uh, much more of people appealing to us, people that are coming to our homes, people that we're going to see. And um, I know that you've had a vast experience in your position and uh, dealing with this. And I'd like to get your perspective on it because before you start, let's just say that some people have been, feel somewhat ill at ease when people come to their doors today, um, before COVID already, and wondering, um, what, how, uh, what's really happening with their with their most of, of tzedakah? Obviously, God, Rabbi, I'm sure you, you know, is is of everything with Tova, but we we realize how precious our funds are, and I hope you want them to go to the right place. And maybe you can give us some uh, some perspective about that. I was I'll just tell you parenthetically before you start that they asked Rabbi Yoshev. Um, in the last couple of years before he passed away about giving money at the Koiso. And he actually said, he, he, he would tell people, do not give money to people who come to you at the Koso. He says, they are probably not Aniyim. And it, 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 he, it, that was his understanding that halakhically you probably weren't being, once you know this, and again, I would trust Rebel Yoshev on anything, you're not even Makayim Tzedakah this way. So don't even say, well, I, I, I meant the right thing. So, it is, I think, important to know and, and, and to really understand things. So why, why don't you uh, inform us, please, about this such important mitzvah of Nisaf? I can reflect with you. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, even when it's not being recorded. But <laughs> okay. uh, to, to know that there are a few people who might be listening is very, very gratifying. Um, I think that as we approach the experience of tzedakah, and here I'm not talking about you know, uh, operating the equivalent of a personal foundation where we're sending out grants to big organizations, big yeshivas. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about tzedakah where it becomes a one-to-one experience. We have several different conflicting emotions and frameworks that, that work on us. Well, for one, contemporary people are highly allergic to confrontation. And so when people come to your door and if either you can't see them at that moment or what you give them is not satisfactory to them, the idea of having an unpleasant 
confrontation with people is something we avoid assiduously. There are people who became so burned out that they stop opening their door, right? So the fact that, that we may confront something harsh is, is, is difficult. Number two, um, we all have somewhere in our Jewish hearts <clears throat> what I would call an almost romantic script of tzedakah, where we expect the poor to be humble, grateful, simple folk for whom our, our largesse is, is appreciated and, and, and used well and that they are, you know, mitztapik bumuat, that their, their needs are small and their aspirations are modest. And, and we would love to play the savior for these kinds of individuals. And we would love to know that, you know, happily ever after has become part of our consciousness. Unfortunately, the reality of poverty usually does not create humility, it doesn't create nobility, what it creates is desperation. And desperation does not bring out the best in human beings. As a result, there is, and here is where the cynical part comes in, there are people who make their livings going around from community to community from, with one set of letters rabbinical letters to another. And they have crafted their stories in many cases to be what we want to hear, to, to let us know that we have finally found the recipient and our role is to play the usher, to play the, the nadiv. And, and, you know, and we, I had a case once, a guy called me, a guy came to me, claiming he had a terribly sick young wife. Well, this sick young wife, I helped pay for her treatments. I helped pay for her funeral. And I believe I put up a matzeva before I found out that this guy had never even been married. This mythical wife, I took her through all the stages of illness. Wow. I mean, I was a veritable Kubler-Ross of tzedakah going through this whole process. And all the time I was being fed, uh, fed a line. One Rabbi, time, was, that, was that you as Jonathan Rosenblatt, personal uh, person uh, of giving, or was that as Jonathan Rosenblatt, rabbi? Were you giving? That was Jonathan Rosenblatt, the rabbi of a large congregation with a rabbi's chesed fund that I was given to distribute. Wow. And where I wish to put all, anyone tried to send me money for funerals or weddings, or it all went into the chesed fund. So it was a substantial amount of money that could have been mine. And I, when I was really young in the rabbinate, a guy came and told me a story that he owed money and that the mafia was going to come and bust him up and break all his teeth. And he had to have the money by XXY o'clock. And I called Mike Virin and I told him, the word you always want to be careful with. If you hear anyone say mamish, they're probably lying. But I told them this was pikuach nefesh mamish. And they had that and I needed the money and I would drive over it. And I got these poor people gave, gave me sums of money that I would 
probably never again get from them. And I gave, I got this money together as if the gun had been at my head and I gave this man the check. And I found out subsequently because I began to talk to my Mishalachim. I began to know the network and who knew whom and what neighborhoods and the real story of people's lives. I found out that this guy is a compulsive gambler and the money went directly from me to Atlantic City, never to be seen again. Now, understand that in the, in the community of Mishalachim, you know, the, on the lower level, I'm not talking about people representing you know, institutions and things of that nature. There is an incidence of compulsive gambling. Why? Because you're talking about people who are living at the same level of desperation as the poor people you see lining up at your neighborhood newspaper uh, kiosk, buying lottery tickets with money they cannot afford. Because to the desperately poor, the chance to suddenly be rich. You have to understand, uh, a poor man's, apropos a poor man's Shkodesh Benshi goes right past Parnosa to Osher Vechobot. It is such a vulnerable position that the dreams of being the Gvir is overwhelming. And that's the kind of mind process that leads people to gamble, that leads people to take chances. And which, of course, creates the addictive. Uh, connection, which we know already for hundreds and hundreds of years in our Shuvasvarim, uh, the uh, admonitions that the rabbis uh, gave out against gambling because they realized uh, the families that were being destroyed by uh, the, the husband usually's uh, addiction to this. And you're saying that the desperation leads you to this addiction. The desperation... Yeah. And so it's not surprising that it, that you that you would discover a person like a mishulach or someone who seemed to be in desperate states that he actually uh, whether he has a, a gun to his head that they that that or not um, he probably has a tremendous amount of gambling debts because he's probably become. Um, uh, I wouldn't say anything about it in that he any particular individual, but these are among the social ills that you need to to watch for. You also need to watch for people whose families are imploding and maybe having terrible trouble with with children. Um, You also need to contend with people who specifically go out collecting because they don't want anyone in their neighborhood to know that they're in dire straits. They're keeping, they're putting up a front because they're afraid that their children will be uh, disadvantaged when they come to make shiduchim. If anyone knew that their uh, their father was, uh, was okay. So that 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 like, sounds uh, up until now. What you've been talking about are real charlatans, uh, confidence men. What you're talking about in, in in this this example you just gave, Rabbi, is someone who is going through some economic uh, turmoil. But uh, as we know from the Gemara and Ksubis, it's, it's, it's difficult for them to admit to the people around them that they don't have the money that they used to. And uh, because of that, they are going out to neighborhoods where people don't know them to try to collect in order to keep uh, strength, to keep uh, propping up that old lifestyle that they're leading. Am I understanding it correctly? 
I think the, the distinction is reasonable. What I think though is, is sometimes catastrophic. And this is what happens when you, if you take the time to actually know the people, come to know the people, you will find that someone is out collecting. You know when you have a newbie, someone who is not uh, inured to the difficulty of this life. And you see this Tamimus, and they've gone out because someone in their family is desperately ill or someone in, or there's been a specific financial crisis and they have to, and they are often as newbies, incredibly successful because people feel the sincerity. And then they come back the next year and the next year and the next. And you realize what has happened that this person has suddenly discovered in themselves the capacity to call upon people and raise sums of money beyond anything they had ever dreamed in their working lives. And you slowly watch that individual produced by a particular circumstance you watch him becoming a repeater. Now that does not mean, I want to stress, it doesn't mean that the person is a charlatan. It doesn't mean that there is no need, but sometimes you see the need changing. You see the individual, you know, you raise money for your brother-in-law. Maybe I have a sick brother-in-law too, raise money for him and I'll give you 25%, 40%, whatever it is. And, and you see a professional. What I found was that Many people, the regulars, they also like hiding behind the script. They want to satisfy their customers. However, the experience of going to it to the next level, the experience of actually entering their lives and realizing that these are not, you know, the Lamed Vav Tzadikim. These are simple people fighting uphill. And when what you begin to think about is not your check, how much am I going to give this person? Are you going to be happy with the check or not happy with the check? But you begin to ask yourself, am I contributing to the betterment of the larger situation? And here you discover beautiful things about people and beautiful things about your people. So for example, I once had a young man, came to me several times. It was clear, clear that he was involved with uh, a, a low level sort of people. And he must've been in his late teens, early twenties. He looked like he had never been cared for. You learn a lot about someone by looking at his teeth. You could tell that he had never been cared for. He was very thin. His clothes were, were tattered. And he came to me several times and clearly stayed on script and was very reticent. And then he had come to me three or four times over a period of a year or two. He's giving me his spiel. And I see that he is in physical pain. So I turned to him and I said, so-and-so, tell me, what's going on? You seem to be in pain. And he said, I have the most terrible toothache. I said, 
Can I get some help for you? He was just desperate. He, I mean, he didn't know there was a combination. First of all, he was very, he had no money, but he was also not uh, sophisticated. I called a member of my shul, a dentist. And it was, this was a Thursday night, Friday morning, my friend took this young man to his office. He treated him for almost two hours. He had really serious work that needed to be done to relieve this pain and left him, you know, he had to give him a great deal of, upset uh, it things like that. It was really serious work. And I said, I don't think this young man can go home by himself. Uh, where did he go to? He's in pain. He can barely eat. He's been medicated. He has to take antibiotics on regular uh, intervals. So I said, you know what? I told him, you have to stay, you stay with me this Shabbos. Then I went to my friend and I said, if you spend hours with him, I have money in the chesed fund. I want to pay for his, I want to pay for, uh, you know, what what you've done for him. He said, absolutely not. He wouldn't take a penny. And not only that, he gave him samples of antibiotics so that he didn't have to go out and buy anything. And then the paradox of paradoxes was this young man came to our house. And that evening, we happened to be invited for Friday night dinner to the home of my friend, the dentist. <laughs> and I said, I was a little sheepish, you know, to me, to hear he was hosting my whole family with little children. And I had this extra guest. I said, would it be possible to bring him along? I said, well, you, yeah, if you have limited space, it's all right. I'll provide food from my house. I'll find someone else. He said, absolutely, bring him, bring him. Isn't that The image of this very highly skilled, very successful dentist waiting on this young man, hand and foot, finding foods that he could eat after his dental procedure, where in one moment he was the professional and in the next moment he was Abraham Avinu caring for a broken-hearted stranger. This young man, Otsoi Shabbos, looked into my eyes with tears and he said, Rabbi Rosenbach, I didn't know there were such people still in the world. And he was coming, you know, from one of the known, very orthodox neighborhoods. And I thought that was a special Kiddush Hashem because he had known the chesed of a place like Riverdale where I lived. And of course, this, this dentist is an unusual person. He's not the Halavai. Never mind for our Halavai in the world, there were more people like that. But from that point on, our relationship changed completely. And this young man would call me not just for money, he would call me for advice. 
I went to be Menachem Arlo when he lost his mother. I learned the story of his family because we entered we, we left the world of the script and my concern for him became the concern of a rove for an isolated lonely Jewish young man so Sudoku can become transformative if we set aside our fear and we're willing to enter the real world of, of people without judgment. So when I found out, you know, not everything in his life was the life of a, a pious yeshiva book. You know, in this desperation, there were involvements of some things that were frankly a little unsavory. But he was a real person. It wasn't a script and it wasn't a handout. So, the, I guess the question, it's, it's an incredibly moving story. And, and, and you, I, I know you're trying to posit the two sides here. And, and, and I guess, you know, you sort of fell into it almost, I know you wouldn't call it serendipity, it was Ashkoch Protis, that this was the real Sadaka situation. Not only what you did, but of course the dentist and the person that you were ministering to and helping. And I know you're contrasting it to to most of the cases. Um, and, you know, I guess you're, you're advising us to smell the artifice, to sense where the artifice is being constructed. Um, if, if it sounds too good, you should be suspicious. If it sounds like it's, it's, it's checking all the boxes that you expect it to check, Exactly. Well, I would say that, but frankly, I am not selling suspicion. I'm not offering a method of filtering out all of the, you know, parallel. I grew up, whether it was the shul I grew up in, the shul I ministered to, there were certain types of people in the shul, good people. And they would go into a shul kiddush and they went into oh, the freeloaders. Remember, I was like, oh, the freeloaders are here. People are coming to Kiddush. You know, they don't dive in here. They came just to get the food, the book. It was the, it was the, there was, there were balabatim that their, their whole life was about catching freeloaders. Especially the ones that would come with little bags. And especially <laughs> and, the ones with little bags. And, and that, would, that would somehow, you know, shunt this, all this stuff into the bag and walk. Yeah, yeah. In Okinami, absolutely. Until... The rabbis in Tinek did a study and they found out that there was a whole group of people who shared information, who checked which shuls had Kiddushim on a given Shabbos and they, they would go there. Why? Because they were truly poor. Because they didn't have the money to make Shabbos. And so everybody is so, you know, if you talk about Tom Shabbos, no one will tell you that Tom Shabbos is a bad thing. But what about Tom Shabbos that people create for themselves by knowing that if something is open to the community, that they're part of the community. And that instead of having to go and stand before a committee and prove that they have no income, they can actually go someplace and be fed. Isn't that the most wonderful thing that could happen with the Kiddush? I almost suspended my uh, 
my prohibition. I, I never let the Gaboyim make a Mishaberich Bavur Shenodar Kiddush. I thought that's repugnant. Mm-hmm. You're going to give Kiddush for your, your buddies and you want you want the Rabban Shalom to heal your aunt because of that? When I heard this story, I almost relented because Halavai, the exaggerated Kiddushim in some of our shuls, Halavai they would be a vehicle for getting Bekovedika Onig Shabbos to people who can't afford to make Shabbos. So I am not I am not, I'm just going, shifting back to your question. I am not so much worried about helping people not give stuck to charlatans. What I'm encouraging people to do, and you can't do it if you have 40 people at your door, what I'm encouraging people to do is sit a person down and make it safe for them to tell you their real story. Find out what's really going on. I mean, one of the greatest compliments I ever had was when a Meshulach called me and said, I know that you always give money to Mrs. So-and-so, but I want you to know she was in a fire and she was, she saved the family, but she herself was desperately injured with smoke inhalation. Just so happened I was in the neighborhood. I went to visit this lady in the hospital. Subsequently, this woman got a big award for from the insurance for that fire. And she went to live in Eretz Yisrael. And I was sort of in touch with her. She still needed a little help and some former members of the gave her help. And I would go to Cholon to visit her a few times when I was in Israel, when I would make my various trips, not to give her money. She would receive me, it was embarrassing. It was like she bought every kind of cake and fruit that you could find in the Makolet. And what would she talk about? She had a son who suffered with mental illness. And she would sit and after we exchanged bus, she would sit and talk to me about it her Johnny, and now she worried about him and what would become of him and how his life had been broken and how they began in Romania and he had been a gifted student and then he had some kind of a breakdown, probably uh, schizophrenia manifesting itself in the early 20s. What I mean, all I mean to say to you at Rebbe is behind all of these facades and scripts, they are fascinating and and sometimes very broken people. And more than they appreciate the gifts and the help and the dava, having someone to talk to about their problems, well, having you know, a place. This is, uh, you know, you say this, and of course it always strikes in my mind, um, you know, a question that um, I was once asked on a, uh, on a bus, going to the Kotel. Um, and there was a, uh, a, a wonderful man who was obviously at Dalmachochem. We were talking and learning a little bit. And um, he mentioned to me the question that was that was asked by the um, the Divrei Chaim to the young child, Rabbi Bornstein, who, become, who became the Avni Nezer. 
um, they had brought Rabbi Bram Bornstein, he was only a little boy, Avremela, they had brought him to Rav Chaim Zand, Rav Chaim Halberstam, to see if he would be a good shidduch for, for the Divar Chaim's daughter. And uh, his father, the Gudas Ezov, Rav Zev Nochem, was talking and learning, and they were talking about things. Where's Avram? Where's this Ili? Where is he? So he was out because the, the pond near the Rebbe's house had frozen over. So he was, you know, he was skating on the pond. He was enjoying himself. Um, so they were talking, possibly. Yeah, so. so the Rebbe had to go somewhere after they you know, had met uh, with the father. And the Rebbe's carriage went past the pond. And the boy was playing. The Rebbe said, stop. Tell the boy to come in. So the boy jumped in. He started talking. And he said, I have a question for you. In the Midbar, where everybody received the mun, and it would seem the mun was enough for every person, it was exactly parceled out by the Rabboni Shalom. He knew how to give tzedak exactly. Those, those portions, the Taim Chai Shabbos, the perfect Taim Chai Shabbos and Taim Chai Chol. So the mitzvah of tzedaka, how could you be Mekayim? Mitzvah stuck in the midbar. How was the door midbar makayim? But everybody got what they needed. It was nobody was chaser anything in the midbar. So this was the question that they asked this boy, and I think he was about ten or eleven, maybe younger. And he said, "Reb, I think it's poshut." He said, "Not everybody. They might have all had what they needed personally, but the das of them were different. You had people who are bowing madrega on Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron." And to be able to speak to a person and give them, um, to give them uh, your das is the greatest thing. You're able to talk to them, explain to them. That was what the little boy said. Um, the uh, the Rebbe himself uh, felt that there was another way to be mischasek of tzedakah. And he said, look, as, as much as they got everything they needed, it was still a scary place, especially after the Lechet uh, of the Maraglim. It was a place where people had pacha. There was pachodim of things that were going around. So to be able to lessen the pacha of others was also a kiyum in stoka. Now, I mentioned this to this fellow who was on the bus with me on our way to the Koiso. So what he said to me was, he thought you could say it a little bit different. He said that the tzedakah that, that we were talking about is pasha to listen to the person, right? It wasn't so, it wasn't, in, in one way it was to ameliorate the person's fears, but also the tzedakah of giving your time to listen, to be able to, to hear what the other person had to say. And that also was a way of, of Nasina's tzedakah, which I think is what you're saying. And I think it really, in a way, talks to even before the, the, they were in the midbar. Of course, the the levi, the the Levium, who weren't part of the shiva mitzrayim, they heard every Shabbos. They would hear the stories of backbreaking work and of frustration and difficulty, and in that way, they shared, and that was the bond of stoka. And, and I think that's really what what what, what you're saying about is really uh, uh, extremely important. I think what many uh, Balit Stoka, philanthropists, business people, busy people want to do is say, bring the check, bring the check and write it out and not necessarily even begin to penetrate what's really going on. 
And I, I think that's part of what your message is. Um, and uh, however, I'm still in a way worried because you started our conversation today talking about the phonies, the confidence men. And without painting anything with any broad brush, how do these men obtain the letters that are signed by the Vod of Tzlokov Flatbush, the Vod of Tzlokov Riverdale, Rabbi X, Rabbi Y? Is there some problem in the system that that the that 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 there isn't enough vetting going on that these that these people who are obvious, like you say, the man doesn't even have a wife, and you, and, and you buried her. How do they? How do they? How are they able to get the um, the credentials? And is it still a problem today? I, I, the truth is, since my retirement from the active rabbinate, uh, I don't see as many people. I don't have the nightly visits from the car service. Uh, crew, and I think maybe even in the field things have changed because people were burned. Um, however, I think you have to recognize. First of all, very few people read the letters. There's a famous old story about a, a Talmud who was uh, thrown out of one of the biggest shivas in Europe, and he said, "I'll leave quietly, but I want on the shiva stationary. I want the letter." stating that I was thrown out of the yeshiva. I wanted to fish <laughs> He took it to Arizona and told them that it was his smicha, and they saw on the top the name of a well-known yeshiva. They took him as their rope. But, uh, so people don't read the letters. Many letters will say, I read a letter from Rabbi so-and-so who says this person needs, or I, I you know, so the, the, the person who's signing is essentially countersigning someone because someone he knows says, right? There are though certain individuals, not generally, the, the, the Vadim and I believe the leader in this was Rabbi Heinemann Schlitter in Baltimore. Yes, I was about to say that. They they, really, seem have, they seem to have created the better mousetrap. I mean, that's a yeah. wrong metaphor, but that's a, you know what I mean. And and anyone who knows uh, Rabbi Heinemann Schlitter knows Creating a mousetrap is something he is capable of. He is yes, a yes, brilliantly creative, creative person. And he looked at the big problem and really worked on finding a solution. However, there were Masoras. And I know, for example, with Moshe Feinstein, was such a Baal that if someone would come and tell him a story, he didn't go and check. He would write a letter. He would write almost for anyone. And there are certain members of his family who continue that Masorah on his smach. In other words, there were certain letters that I would get. Certain Rabbanim, I came to know their handwriting. And I know that these letters were written by tzaddikim and bitmimus. They simply said, if a person is in a position where he has to come to me and tell me a story, I'm not investigating. I'm saying that this is a so there there is a masora like that out there, which is the opposite of the you know masora that you really have to make sure people are hagunim. So you know, good credentials today are still good credentials. However, it should be understood that there are people who technically 
are uh, you know appropriate recipients but they become addicted to living off the dole and so they come year after year and they get their letters renewed and there's no sheker per se mm. the only problem is that they have been frozen in the role of Mitzrachim. And every giving is a taking because the resources are always limited. And if we have people who have become perpetual collectors, even if they are honest, something's wrong. There is uh, one organization in Eretz Yisrael which does wonderful work in in transforming people in weeding them off weeding weeding them off off, giving them what they need in their desperation but then helping them and i'm going to kick myself that i'm having trouble recalling the name of the organization because it would be nice to give them a plug but they do wonderful work Mm -hmm. they actually fight poverty they don't just give checks they they fight poverty and and you know, get people out of the cycle. I know we're, if, if we're over time, please tell me. I was wondering if there's time for one more story. Sure, sure. Before about- you, before that story, I just wanted you know just again my, my my frame of reference is is not so much in although I've talked to you about my my experiences because Mishalochim really formed in many ways. You know, it's my father's yurts have coming this week, and Mishalochim, oh, sure. my father was involved with them, really formed so much of my. Um, understanding of the world outside of the little the Memphis ghetto that I lived in, of, that there was a world of, 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 of Torah and Rabbonim and things, and these were the visitors I had in my house all the time. Um, the um, you, you know, so, I, but I, but I'm informed a little bit by the Gemara in Ksuvis, where the Gemara talks about again the Amoris. I'm, I'm forgetting the Amoris name. But there was a person who came and he said, you have to be mafarnas me. And he said, look, I have to give you fisioine. I have to give you pheasant. I have to give you chicken. I have to give you this. You can eat what I eat. You can eat the, the same food that I'm eating. I mean, in other words, he was in a way saying, you know, you don't need this. You know, you can subsist with me. I'll let, you'll stay with me and you'll eat the food that I'm eating. Then, of course, it turned out that even though this, this food that he had become accustomed to was so crucial to him, that when he start when he changed his diet, this Ani that the Gemara speaks about, he he collapsed and died. And the Amora stood over his body and said, "You know that uh, you know that I killed you. You know that I, it was." He, he realized that. Now I always took that Gemara to mean that that one of the things we can't do is judge people from where we're coming from. And sometimes I, I, I hear. People say, "Look, you can't get a job." I mean, and I, and I, and I actually have people. I've seen Balabatim come into shul, you know, on a Sunday after the mishalochem have made their sweep, and they've told me, "You know, I told that guy, yeah, that guy came to your house. He came to my house, and I said, well, I'm going to give you money. You should get a job. Why aren't you getting a job? Why? Why don't you work?' Right? And it, it always, I, I never responded because it, it was so disgusting to me. Like, you can't. It's hard to judge." Uh, of where that person is coming from, um, and, and I think there's a there's a line here which is it's 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 not it's it's a very subtle line because on one end you can say hmm he's you know he doesn't need this you know he like you say he's becoming dependent why he should be able to get a job we don't really know what's happening in the in the mental physiological state of people 
So, you know, I, 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 I understand what you're saying and, I, and, and, and it's correct. You get into a certain, like, like that Oni who couldn't live without the, the meat that was necessary for him to go on, but yet that became part of his mentality. And maybe we, you know, we can't always correct those aberrant behaviors, those behaviors that we consider, right? So just- no, I, 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 uh, But I mean, what you, what you mentioned brings up one of the most difficult examples. And that is what happens when people come from Eretz Yisrael and they want money for Achnos's kala. Mm-hmm. And the plan is we have to collect soccer money we're going to marry up our child and our son or son-in-law is going to learn indefinitely in Kolo. Uh, this in certain communities, uh, holy communities, this is, this is just way of life. But you take a, a poor person and say to him, you know what, I don't believe in Kolo. I believe that they should get a trade and I believe they should learn and I believe they should this and I believe they should. So look at this poor man. He's got a son, he's got a daughter, he's got a wife who's worried about her children should die. You send him back and you say, you should, you should cure cancer. You should reverse global warming and then you won't have your problem. He's like, he can't make a new culture. He can't make it. He is working within the parameters of the community in which he lives. You may not like those parameters, but once you understand that he didn't really choose, he's, that's where he lives, that's who he's among. I believe that you, the, the question of whether the individual should be penalized for what the donor believes is an unsound system, this is one of the big ethical questions that we face. And I'm, I've sat on Sadaka committees where a request for Achnasus Kala coming from certain neighborhoods got thrown in the trash immediately. Uh, we don't want to hear about that. We want to hear about sick kids. We want to hear about, uh, you know, breadwinner who is, who is suddenly uh, killed by a bus. We don't want to hear about that. That's not real Sadaka. And I, I question that. I think it's a real. I know Rav Vosner dealt with this question. Um... I don't have the, the, the reference exactly where in the Shevet Levi it is, but I know he dealt with this and he, uh, and, and he was very sensitive to this, to this point. Um, does it really count as, since this has now become an Eretz Yisrael, the mentality, and he's not leaving the Haredi world, right? So is this part of his, is this part of his Tzorach uh, ne, uh, Nefesh or not? I know that he dealt with this question. And it is, a, I think, a very difficult one. Um, the um, the uh, like you say, it, the mentality is so is so different. If you would tell him what you don't, and and let, let's just explain to everyone that the achnosas kala is more than just allowing the boy to sit in kolo. It means buying an apartment for the couple, so they're going to be able to live, and the fellow is going to be able to to learn in kolo. That's what they mean when they say achnosas kala. Is I promised an apartment for uh, for the couple, and I can't do that. You, the, a, a simple person hears that they said, "Oh, you need to make a wedding." All right, I want to be part of that wedding. But the wedding is the least of it. 
right? It's the, it's, it's the nothing, right? The real thing. But in that context, that apartment is the only tangible asset that that couple is ever likely ever going to have in their entire married lives. Because even when he leaves Kolo and goes to work, almost inevitably he's going to, and it's going to be the Ainara large family. He is going to be working hard his entire life to stay afloat, even if, even if he has an apartment. And what may happens in many cases, he, he uh, is gonna end up having to sell or mortgage that apartment sure. to get the next generation launched. And what's even more tragic, and I actually spoke to Rav Steinman, about this question. When you get down to child 12 or 13 or 14, and it's a girl, there are many young women from the Haredi community who were simply told that by the time their turn to marry comes up, their fathers have already mortgaged everything sold everything, maxed out on all the gemachim, which is the equivalent of our maxing out our credit cards. There is no place left. He will spend the rest of his life servicing the debt for marrying off all of his other children, trying to climb out. And there are some of these young women who simply never have the chance to marry because there's no there are no resources. Wow. So, so, so really this type of education that, that, that based on your knowledge is really something which I think our Balabatim need to understand and not just casually dismiss the, the request for Achnosis Kawa. It's illuminating for me as well. You, you had one last, you had another story that you think that... that is, this was, is a story about not becoming complacent about who is the Ani and who is the Balabais. Had a man came once, early on, sat on my, sat on, I had given him some help a couple of times. He came to visit me, he says, I have regards for you. Do we know anyone in common? I have regards from my father. His father was an alto yid in Eretz Yisrael. He says, my father was there when your great-grandfather died in Eretz Yisrael. He says, and everyone knew that Yosel Rosenblatt died penniless because he was involved in various things. He went to Eretz Yisrael to make a film hoping to pay off all his debts and, 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 and re- recoup his, you know, to, to get back, back to living. And then he died at 51 in Eretz Yisrael. He was only 51 years old, Yosel. Yeah, and I have this. I have this image of him as like a zokeh of muf, like a like a chazan arasayif. Wow. Yeah, that's right. But you will not see a picture of him with a gray beard. Wow. Well, it's all black. Tiur Rabbi Yishmo. Tiur Rabbi Yishmo. I have the. It's, it's like that's not his. Tiur Rabbi Yishmo is Kvartin. As Kvartin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not the not the Also, a brilliant piece of chazanus. Yeah, yeah, I can. I'm gonna have to edit that out. But if people, people attribute it. You know, people incorrectly attribute it to Yosua. I've heard people say, "I do Yosua's Tira Rabbi Shmuel." I've heard Chazonim say that. And you're right. Oh. Maybe you're right, but I've never heard. Of no, no, you are in this area. This is your Mikzaya. I know that. 
In any case, this fellow said to me, when Yasala died, the members of the Hebra got together and said, we cannot let the world know that Yasala Rosenblatt couldn't afford his own Levi. And the members of the Hebra chipped in and they were all poor people. His father was a 19 year old boy and his father chipped in and they borrowed and he says he remembers his father paying off this halvo. Like, uh, I don't know what they had in, in, in those days. The uh, Before there was a shekel, there was uh, under, under the bridge, a few pennies at a time. And he said, the reason he was on the chem, he says, they needed some strapping guys because if the Arabs gave them trouble when they went to Harazesim, they needed a few big guys to, to make it safe. He says, my father paid for your great-grandfather's divide. Wow. And uh, I suddenly looked at him differently. And from that time, really until now, Man and I are in touch, and I helped him for many years. I, I just took him shopping and bought his whole Pesach. Mm. And one, one night I get a call in the afternoon, late afternoon, it was an early day, from, again, a friend of his that says, so-and-so's father was just nifter in Israel. Please get me the number so I can call the base. Oh, he's leaving for the airport. I get a second call. He says the flight was delayed, and they are making one minion in Bar. They had to go ahead. They went ahead with the Kvura, obviously in the Yerushalayim in a way. And there was a minion in Borough Park for Mitzvah I jumped in my car. I broke every speed law. And I walked into the apartment. All these Hasidisha guys, nine of them. I was the center. I walked in. My friend looked up and says, Oh, Rabbi Rosenblatt. And they clapped I was Zoha to be there to answer the Kaddish on this man who brought my great grandfather to Menucha. And I said to this man once he tried to thank me for something I gave him. I said, don't think. Just please do this. You tell your children the wheel goes around. And when my when my Zadie needed you, your father was there. And at the moment, thank God, I'm able to be the one who helps. I will have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And there's a strong likelihood that someday the wheel will turn again. You know, I, I, I think from what you're saying, I now have an answer to another big question. And, and the question is, you know, we, we talk about stalker and, 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 and there's, there's chesed and stalker, but we usually say tzedek is sort of like mishpat tzedek, right? I mean, it's based on din, right? And yet the term tzedakah seems to be all about compassion and going beyond. And again, it could be the philologists come up with chilukim between tzedek and tzedakah. But I think what you're saying here gives me an understanding, and we can close maybe on this, about what Nasina tzedakah is, that there is, there's this balance, 
yes, of course, it's a tremendous, like you, this person went out of his way to, to, to somehow come up with funds to be able to bring Rabbi Yosela to, uh, to the Kvura that he, that he deserved. That was incredible chesed and compassion and digging deep and going beyond. But the, but the reason why it's, it's tzedakah because it balances out because there, you do have that din that eventually occurs. <laughs> the din meaning that you be, are able to now be mischased with him. That is the, the old, that is mamish mita keneged mita. That's not a chesed that goes just right. a, a chesed and compassion. I always felt that whatever little help I was able to offer there, I was a balchov. Right. I, and I, I, I think if we give tzedakah that way to the people who come, and of course, with your guy, with your with with what you've given us, I think we have to look at it as as the as the Gemara keeps on saying. These are all. This is just a pikadon that you have. This isn't just. This isn't you reaching into the, to the mahus of yourself and giving something that's be'etzim yours. The Rabbi Yisraelim. This is all part of tzedek. This is all part of the the mishpat amiti. You know the mishpat of. Of uh, yeah, and and it might not be realized right now because right now there's a noisin and a makabel, but if you have that machshaba that this is tzedakah, this is tzedek, then I think that you're able to give in a much different way than feeling that you've you've been taken advantage of or you're just giving or and and, and you view the other person although as a needy in one spot, you realize in the future that. Uh, how significant that person is going to how whether it might be his children his grandchildren but it's going to go back the other way and um you know in that way it's a uh it's it's a it really is midas hadin <laughs> and and the best type of midas hadin not not rabbi rosenblatt you've given i think us uh hopefully all of us a a way to come into this man of nesinas tzedaka and nesinas uh, and with a with a with a, with a chizik, but also with a with a little bit of a, a cautious eye and an understanding. Uh, you know, they they say that what what Eliezer was looking for wasn't just a balas chesed for Yitzchak, but a balas chesed with seifel, right? To know what Rivka was, right? The Rivka's the way she was mischased with 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 the Evan Avram with Eliezer. Was 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 done with an understanding, and I think she is a model of how we have to constantly give with that type of das, with the das elyonin, which comes really from the experience. I think that you're able to bring to the table. So, uh, thank you so much, Rabbi, uh, I'm, 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 and for answering the call. And it's a shame we should uh, we should be able to be able to give and to be mesameach, as the as the Rambam says. That's that's how we're medam ourselves to the shchina. That's really, in a way, how we could be mizdabik to the Rabbani Shalom in Metati Odei, in a way that the Mesameach Leiv Nitchoyim and the Virapas Nachoshis. So, we'll, Rabbi, we're going to have to get you back in, in some way, shape, or form here. So, again, thank you, everybody. This has been a special version of of, of Emeritus Rex, of, of a rabbinical uh, insight. Shkoyach, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.